Holy Spirit, just want to ask you just to do a deeper work in us. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you just nestle on our congregation right now? Would you bring us revelation? Would you bring us insight? Would you bring us strength so that we know how to live? To know how to be able to progress in some of the situations that we're facing. Holy Spirit, we just want to ask you now, you be the teacher, Lord. You be the teacher. Reveal things to us and speak directly to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Please take your seats. Thank you so much for being at BCC today. And uh, over the... These few weeks, we are looking at the parables that Jesus taught. And in the parables, Jesus reveals his inner thinking. It's how the kingdom works here on earth. It's how to instruct us on how life works and how our mindset can make progress. It's what Jesus really thinks. And so when he teaches a parable, he often explains it later on to his disciples and says, now I want you to hear that. And today is one of those split parables where he's going to teach it. And then when the crowd go away, he's going to explain it. Everybody turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And this will be an unusual story and parable for many of us. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what you have joined. More than just a church, this is what, this is how the kingdom works. I want you to understand that. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. A man sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, His enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat. And then he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this. He replied. The servant asked him, Well, do you want us to go then and to pull them up? No, he answered, because whilst you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot some of the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds, tie them up in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Quite, quite a straightforward story, but then in the explanation, Jesus takes it deeper and actually it becomes a lot more serious and a little bit strange to the, to the people who live in today's world. There are concepts here that now we have to think, is this my view of history and life? Go down to verse 36 in Matthew 13. 
Then he left the crowd and went into his house. And his disciples said to him, explain, give me your inner thinking on the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed, it's the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for people, people of the kingdom. I've placed my people in the world. That's where they grow. They're not in an incubator. They are not separate. They are in the world. That's where my people grow. The weeds are people of the evil one. They are people. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. Jesus accepted there are spiritual forces at work. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom. Listen, this is care. This is important. Everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Number one, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of his father. Whoever has ears, let him now hear on this version of what history and life is like. I don't know about you, but do you have any kind of definition in your house about what tidying up means? Or any kind of argument about what it might not mean? There might be some of you here where when you've tidied somebody, something, uh, somebody comes behind you and says, that's not tidy. Has that happened to you at all? Okay. Thank you for that. Yes, Valentine's Day was last week. I mean, does anybody have a different view of how you load the dishwasher? Does anybody think that you should just stuff as much in as possible, it's going to get washed anyway, or is anybody suffering from that grave OCD-ness where everything has to go in just so and has to be washed like that? Is there anybody sick enough to admit that? Okay. I See, I'm a stuffer. Ah, throw it all in there. It's going to get washed anyway. Who's with me? Well done. You know, right now on Netflix, there's a smash hit. And the program is called Tidying Up. And it's run by a small Japanese lady. She speaks in Japanese and it's all interpreted by Maria Kondo. And what she does, she brings homes back to order. You know what she does, men? She teaches you how to fold your socks in thirds and roll them up and put them in the drawer. Kathy was telling me that, that since that program's been on, John Lewis have reported that storage boxes, their sales of storage boxes have gone right up. It's kind of a, a PA's heaven. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that right, Kim? You know, it, it's kind of like, if you're a tidy person, this is the program for you, Maria Kondo. 
We all have to admit, though, wherever your view of tidying up, it's quite mentally refreshing to have a good tidy up, isn't it? You know, tidy up your desk or, you know, or the yearly man tidy up the shed. You know, where men come in from the shed and say, darling, I have tidied up the shed, as if they need some sort of medal for that once a year. But it is kind of mentally refreshing to have a good tidy up and things are in order. Some of you need to go outside of church today and before you leave the car park, open up the glove box and just tidy it up. You'll have a better drive home. You'll feel good all about it. It's good for us to have a bit of order. Some of us here today would think back to a different time and we would think that that was better and tidier and more in order And that may be just our perception that actually the good old days weren't as tidy as we perhaps thought they were. But in this parable, Jesus tells us that the perfect, unspoiled, tidy world with its protected outcomes and no danger of challenge and the world of great results and unspoiled environment is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't know how many of you would, would you want a perfect pastor? You know, I read, I read something, uh, uh, some research about the perfect pastor. Here he is. After hundreds of years, the perfect pastor has been found. He's a church elder who likes to please everyone. He preaches for exactly 20 minutes and then he sits down. He condemns sin, but he never upsets anybody. He works from 8 in the morning till 10 at night, if only. And doing everything from preaching sermon to actually sweeping the church and making sure it's clean. He makes 400 pounds a week, but he gives 100 pounds away to the church and any deserving cause that comes back. He, he drives a modern car and has lots of books and he wears really fine clothes and has a really nice family. Well, that's true. He always stands ready to contribute to every good cause and he helps any person as they're passing through Birmingham. He's 36 years old, but he's been preaching for 40 years. (laughs) He's tall and yet he's short. He's on the heavy side, but not too much. And and in his own way, he's very handsome. Okay, there's silence there. His eyes are blue or brown whichever occasion it, it, it means uh, or it is appropriate to. He's got wavy hair. He's got brown hair with blonde streaks in it. He has a burning desire to work with young people but spends a lot of time with the senior citizens. He makes 15 calls a day to the church members and spends all of his time evangelizing non-church members. He's also fond of his study time so that he can be really deep. And unfortunately, he burnt himself out and died at the age of 32. That's the perfect pastor. What about a perfect church, church? Why don't we go for a perfect church? Who would like to belong to a perfect church where everyone did as as they were supposed to do? Where we, we all might have different definitions, by the way, of what a perfect church is. Our imperfect definitions might spoil our perfect choices. Perhaps it would be a church where 
Everybody speaks well of each other. A community that loves well and, and spoke of each other well. And everybody forgives easily and yet forgives deeply. Perhaps it's a church where people are serving together. Perhaps it's a church where people take the word of God absolutely seriously and, about their, and, and helps them mold their character and, and that they're actually filled with the spirit. That would be a perfect church. But if we actually got there, then somebody would come in and spoil it. So why don't we lock the doors and keep the imperfect people out? But if we lock the doors and don't let anybody in, then we're not perfect any longer because we're supposed to have the doors open. I wonder if we'll ever find a perfect church. The simple truth is this. That church, like anything else, can be good. Oh man, it's been really good gathering with you today. But it won't be without challenge. It can't be without challenge. And what's more important than us getting rid of the imperfect things or shutting them out and protecting ourselves, the most important thing is not to just get rid of those things that are imperfect, it's our reaction when we're surrounded by the imperfect. When we have the imperfect in our lives, when the evil and the spoilers around us would be so tight, what is your reaction? You see, our first reaction is like the servants in this parable. Just pull them up. Let's, let's just get rid of them. Verse 28, do you want us to go and, and pull them up, master? We want to get rid. And that's not an answer. Because Jesus points out that the weeds are actually people. He calls them children of the enemy. But nevertheless, they're people. And people have connections and relationships. And, and they have journey. And they may be being ministered to by you. And they may be have relationships which you care about. And so you pull out those people and other people might get hurt by you just getting rid of those people. You may be mentoring some of those people. You may be seeking some of those people to change. I thought that God said, for God so loved the world. People. So you can't just get rid of people. And Jesus says that's not the answer. In fact, by you helping some of those people, by you enduring some of those people, maybe you're getting stronger. So the answer isn't just, let's get rid. Let's just, let's just keep ourselves away. So Jesus says, you have to live with it. You don't have to accept it as if nothing can be done and, and as if you can't grow or as if, it, as if you can't have the right thinking. You don't have to accept everything, but you have to live with it. You have to discern that it's there and don't become like them. Actually, you have to see that what they have to offer is not real. In fact, it's very, it's very apropos to this, this parable. The, the weeds in this parable are, called, are actually a plant called Darnell. And Darnell looks like wheat. It's like the fig tree that Jesus cursed. It promises something, but it actually has nothing to offer. It doesn't have the fruit and the sustenance of real wheat. 
And actually, when you're surrounded by people who are offering something and can't deliver, you have to discern that and say, well, I'm going to become stronger so I can bring something to this world. See, the important thing is, what's your reaction going to be? So how do we live with the imperfect? How do we live in this world when we think we may be surrounded by weeds or people who are imperfect, maybe even evil and difficult? The first reaction when things go wrong or, or don't seem good is, is often when we're surrounded by a problem, we do what the people in the parable do, is, and they say, isn't Hasn't God done something defective here? Look, look at verse 27. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed? Surely, did you get something mixed up? Have you, have you sown something? <clears throat> Wasn't it good when it started out? Sir, I thought you did something good. Where did those weeds come from? And we often do this, don't we? we? We often, when things go wrong, we say, God, what have you done? God, I thought you said. God, this isn't what it's supposed to be like. You promised me that it was good. And what we have to do is go back, and we need to go back to the work that God has done in us and still trust that he's done a good work on us and the work that he's done in us is good enough to overcome that which now has come into our life. In fact, Paul said this to the Philippians. He said, being confident of this. Now, let me just pause there and I'll finish the verse in a moment. Where's your confidence? Are you confident in your salary? Are you confident in your earning power? Have you put your confidence in somewhere else other than what God has placed in you and the resources he's putting into your spirit? Paul said this, being confident of this, he who begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion even until the day of Jesus Christ. God has put enough in you to deal with everything that surrounds you and it, you, ha, you can be strong enough so trust in the work that God has already invested in you. Amen church? Our first reaction is, I thought you'd done something good but it's, why has it now come bad? You have to understand, God has placed some things in you that won't change. That you do have the strength to overcome that which is surrounding you now. You have it. He's invested in you. Second thing. We need to understand what our story is, what history's like, both personally and what our, where our situation sits in God's plan. For some of us, the only story we tell ourselves is, oh, need a good job, want a good holiday, perhaps have a computer, need to finish off my mortgage, or pay the rent. That's my story. That is not your story. Those are things around the story. That is not your story. 
You see, the workers in the field said this, Sir, didn't you grow, didn't you sow good seed? They were going back to a time in the story that was in the history And they didn't want to accept what was happening now. Things had moved on since that initial sowing. They were referring to an earlier part of the story instead of a present situation. We do exactly the same. We want the story to be different than what it is now. Oh, can I just go back to what it used to be like? Can I just go back to how things were? The best way to resist evil to is understand the whole story that you are in or your whole history and to realize that we are part of the story or a situation that is only a part of a long story. I want to show you the big story. And actually, it's the big story, but it's also your personal story. God has placed us in a movement of history. It's really important that we understand our lives in light of what he's doing in the whole world. But also, this is a mirror to your personal story. First of all, there was a creation. And actually, you were created at some point. You, God invested in you and said, I will that you will come into being. We were created for purpose, we were created by design, we were created spiritually and physically. All of us had a, had a perfection in the way that God created us. In fact, in the original creation in Genesis, we were absolutely perfect. We were created for relationships. God said, let us, let us make man in our image, let's make humans in our image, both male and female. He created them for relationships like we have relationships in the Trinity. No matter how you feel about your relationships, no matter how you feel about your body, no matter how you feel whether you're stuck in purpose, God created you and he invested in you. Now he did this in in whole of humanity, but also he did this for you. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something wonderful about you, how you've been created. But if we think about the big story, God created us. In fact, you know, in the first chapter of Genesis, you get to verse 31, and God's been saying, it is good, it is good. After he creates humans, male and female, he creates them. He says, it is very good. It's very good. So let's get part of your story You see, I'm going to say this often, but I don't feel like I have to keep inventing myself and reinventing myself. I thank God that he has created me. You know, I, I don't have the pressure of keep saying, oh God, who am I? I know who I am in Christ. I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good works for him. There's a creation about me. Who are you trying to be? The second part of the story is that you're flawed. I'm flawed. We are fallen. Humankind is fallen. All over the world is fallen. In the original story with Adam and Eve and the original uh, fathers and mothers of of our civilization, they are fallen. We went away from God. We rebelled and we disordered our minds. 
We disordered our bodies. We disordered our hearts against the ways of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. In fact, it goes on to say they even exchanged the good things of God for some terrible things that they would do. This has flawed our decision-making. It's flawed who we are. It's spoiled the field that God planted us in. And this has happened to humans, but it's also happened to me and to you. We are flawed, fallen individuals. We have a wonderful creation about us, And it's been spoiled. But that's not the end of the story. And some of you see your flaws, you see your hang-ups, and you're stuck there. But there is another part of the story. Let me say that again so I can get another amen. There is another part of the story. It's on the screen. You see... There was a rescue and a redemption. A redemption means to buy us back out of slavery. Jesus entered our world. He never sinned. He paid the price for all of our disobedience. He was totally obedient to his Father on our behalf. In fact, Jesus even says, I don't even say anything unless you want me to say it, Father, so that that he could rescue us from our tendency to do the wrong thing. We don't have to base our security on how we are feeling or how well we are doing, but on the authority and on the work of Jesus Christ who paid the price for us and his death and resurrection. Yes, I'm going to say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For he did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, that that they might be saved through him. There is a redeemer. There's a redemption. There's a change. Now that's true in the big story of humanity, but it's true of my story. You know, it's very apropos today. Very, very poignant today for me. On this 17th of February in 1973, at 7.30 at night, I went into the pastor's office, bowed my head, and gave my heart to Jesus 45 years ago, this very day. And by the grace of God, we're still standing. You see, what's your story? Is it to be, oh, I need to be a success in this, I need to get this, I need to get that? That may be part of your story, but this is the story. Creation. We're flawed, but there's a redeemer. But there is a day coming. And you know, right now, can I just say that we're this side of this circle, in the middle of this arrow. For those of you listening on tape, we're the good side of redemption on tape, on digital download. We're in a waiting time for the new creation, but God has placed his spirit in us so that when he places his spirit in us, we experience the pull of sin. We do. But God's broken the power of sin. He's paid for the penalty of sin. We're not enslaved to sin or its power. In fact, the Bible says... 
For those people who set their minds on the Spirit, they live in accordance to what, to what the Spirit desires. If you will respond to Jesus, you don't have to be pulled back. But you have to be open. What's the Spirit saying? Now look, guys, it's a struggle. I know it's a struggle sometimes. No, I don't want to be idealistic. This side of redemption, it's a struggle. My life was surrounded by weeds. And often that means people. And it's a tussle and a struggle. But if you set your mind on what the Spirit desires, even though the Spirit and our flesh, they're in conflict often. If you set your mind on what the Spirit desires, you can move forward. That's the story. Jesus said, come to me, all who you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. In your struggle, you can rest. This is where we stand right now. Redeemed, filled, making a step forward. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, being filled with his spirit. You see, some of you have got another story. And you need to let this story overtake the story that you are living in. Instead of the story of struggle that says, I just need to survive another day. Why don't you thank God that he's created you in his image and put things in you that only he put in you. Why don't you thank God that even though you are fallen, he's brought the redeemer so that he can push back the effects of that fall. But look at this. There will come a restoration. And when I look at the world and I look at the tragedy in our city, I long for the day when we're going to be restored, don't you? When Christ returns and perfectly restores our minds, our bodies and our spirits. Oh, don't get me wrong. I want to make a difference now. But there is sometimes an ache in my bones saying, that is going to be so good. It is worth holding out for. Let me read you this revelation. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning. Everybody who's lost someone, that's going to be put right. No mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who's seated on the throne will say, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these things down, trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this. What story are you living for? There is coming for a time when everything will be restored to him. Now for those of you checking out church, this is what we think of history. We don't think that it's just about your next car payment. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> and when you're surrounded with weeds in your life, maybe it's time for you to step back and think, what's the big story? What's my personal story? You need to understand that this story 
is a bigger scale and it will help you serve him in the mess actually when you grasp this story you're going to actively start seeking him and think you know what I'm not going to be so upset about everything that's going on because I see a bigger picture I don't know about you but I think we live in an eye world I've got an iPad, an iPhone, an iPod, an iTouch, an i i i i i I've got an iMac. I'm looking for an iUmbrella that can repel the rain. But you know, in, in this i world, I want to say to you, it's like you have to make yourself the hero. It's as if you have to invent everything. And the pressure on us is, you know, I, 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 I got to do this. Well, actually, I don't have to be the hero of my story. I have a hero, and he died on a cross and rose from the dead, and he's my hero. And, and there's not pressure on me all the time to keep reinventing myself. It's not that I do this unthoughtfully or, or I'm just a, a Bible basher. I am conforming to the image of Christ and I have security in what I'm becoming because he's got it all under control. Why don't you take a load off yourself and stop wondering who you are and become like him and give him your life. See, this is not... It's not the case that you're your hero. He's my hero. It's not the case that it's just your life and will you survive another day. We're part of a big story. You can get real fulfillment in that. And this is where the words of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, you're the ones we always quote. In the midst of all the weeds, in the midst of being surrounded in the field where there might be evil people around, Jeremiah says, in the midst of your captivity, the Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope and plans for a future. You can live in the middle of your weeds if you see the big story. Not saying, oh, I thought it was supposed to just be good. I thought it was just creation. See the fall. See the rescue. See the restoration. Thirdly, To resist evil, let's understand the source of some things and let's call it out. In our parable, when things went wrong and it was was clear that things were a mess, in verse 28, the owner said, an enemy did this. And I don't want to get too spooky or anything, but some of you need to call out some things and say, this is the work of the enemy. Stop making excuses about it. Start, stop making compromises to it. But you need to say to yourself, this is from darkness. This is not from God. There are influences from darkness. We're not to excuse people. Their responsibility, of course, or make excuses. Our response should actually be twofold around the evil people around us or people around us who are very challenging. First of all, we're to love them. God calls us to love everybody and to pour out love on them even though they're the hardest person to love. But the second thing that God wants us to do is to take authority over the works that they are trying to influence us with. In fact, let me go on and and, uh, share with you the definition of of what a a weed is or or a person who was a child uh, of the enemy. 
There are at least two characteristics. In Matthew 13, verse 41, it says this. The Son of Man will send out his angels and he will weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin. Number one. If you have someone in your life that keeps saying to you, oh, it doesn't matter, don't serve God, Uh, follow me, we don't have to do that. If there's a boyfriend or a girlfriend or if there's a a friend that says, oh, no, don't don't let's serve God, that is darkness. Call it out. I'm going to say it again. Call it out in Jesus' name and say, no, that's not it. I'm not doing that. And secondly... A a child of the enemy is someone that says they do things contrary to God's law and make an example that they're not tried to hide it. They're actually saying, and that's what the definition of they do evil is, that they don't hide the fact that they are not living according to God's law. You need to see that with crystal clear eyes and call it out. You resist evil by calling it out. Now, you don't have to Bible bash anybody. You don't have to tell them up. But you have to tell yourself, no, I'm not following that or them. I'm not going to be under their influence. I love them. I pray for them. I be friendly to them. But no. And I feel in my spirit right now that some people need to call some people out. You've been under somebody's influence for a while and you've been saying that, you know, they're okay, I I care about them, oh, they'll come to church someday. You need to call it out and say, no, that's darkness. Call it out. The Bible says that in the parable, no, an enemy did this. This wasn't just a compatriot, this wasn't just a friend, an enemy did this. This wasn't just a joke, this wasn't just something I should just let go, call it out. Who is it? Who is it in your life that influences you and you need to call it out as darkness and take authority over it? Fourthly, to live with evil or to live surrounded by weeds where things are a mess, and you might have lots of situations like that, you have to see the end clearly. Turn your Bible with me to Matthew 30. Matthew, excuse me, 13, verse 30. Let's just read what the Bible says. It says, let both grow together until the harvest. Come to that in a moment. That you can still grow even when you're surrounded by weeds. Some of you, you've let the enemy say, oh, you'll never grow until this changes. The Bible says, no, let both of them grow together. It's fine. You can grow. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. And then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You see, to live in this mess, you have to know what's coming. The harvest, verse 39, the harvest is at the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of the kingdom everything that causes sin and all that do evil. Everyone who says it doesn't matter and everyone who makes an example of their behavior and says, nah. I'm not hiding it. 
They will throw them into the blazing furnace and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Our picture of history is this. There will be a reckoning. Because you're loved, because you're valued, because God so much wants a relationship with you, if you continually refuse that, that invitation to be in loving relationship with Him, eventually He says, there's a reckoning for that. There's a separation for that. Now, I've got to tell you, this is the most uncomfortable truth in the New Testament, but it's there. I don't know, when we were growing up, in, I, I, I became a Christian in 1973. I don't know, we persecuted bus companies because the way we used to preach was, you could walk out of this church right now and be run over by a bus and you'd be straight into eternity. I don't know how many churches you know, were on bus routes in those days, but it seemed like every church was on a bus route and you could get run over by a bus. I'm not preaching that way. I'm saying look forward and understand that there's a reckoning. There's a time when God says, you're mine and you're not. Let me do it this way so that the people over here don't feel more special than you. (laughs) You're mine and you're not. There's a reckoning. I live with evil because I also know there's a reward. That one day, one day, we will shine like sons of the kingdom. Why do you want to give that up? You might be here today and you're kind of churchy goer. You know, you're kind of calm and you sing a few songs, but you're not really living it. One day, he's going to say, you didn't really live it. Why should I let you in? One day, in all of your struggles, you were surrounded by weeds, you were surrounded by challenges, but you were faithful one day By his grace, he's going to say, come on in to the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. See, the reason that I can live in this mess is I've seen the end. How about you? You playing churchy games? Is it just something to do? Is it something that you gave your life to in your teenage years but you've gone cold now? You see, I, I've been reflecting. I'm so thankful, Kathy. Kathy got, became a Christian six months before me. And she always reminds me I didn't need me to get saved. You know, that she was already a Christian. I remind her she needs me to stay saved, but that's a heresy. <laughs> but, you know, as long as we've been saved, 45 years now, do you not think the evil one wants to say, let me take you out in your 50th year? You see, you've got to still be vigilant. You've got to still, unless you think you stand, take heed in case you'll fall. Paolo's been saved 43 years or 40-odd years. 
But, but the enemy wants to pluck us out now. How about you? What I would say to you is, I want to get there. I'm not living that way where people are just saying, oh, I just want to go to heaven. I'm trying to make a difference now. But I want you to see the big story. I want you to stop living for today in the I world where you're the hero and everything that you do is about you. Instead of why don't you inherit the big story where you get off Instagram and get into his gram and his story and say, you know what, God, let me serve you. Let me make a difference for you. And when you do that, even though this world seems so confusing sometimes, you can stand. Because here's the last thing I want to say to you today. You can grow. You can still grow no matter how many weeds are around you, no matter how many difficult people surround your life, you can still grow. Do you remember that? Verse 30, it says, let both of them grow together until the harvest. Now, that might be a long time for us. You know, you're surrounded by some difficult people. You're surrounded by some difficult situations. And you might think, I can't grow until this is dealt with. You've got the pull-up mentality that you have to get rid of it. That's not Jesus' mentality. He says that you can grow until harvest. You can grow because you can sink your roots down into him and be established in him. Ephesians tells us that, that we've got riches we can dig our life into. You can grow and actually be strengthened because the obstacles that you come up against, they actually make you stronger. Romans tells us that perseverance makes character. You can grow because we live in him. 165 times in the New Testament, God says you are in Christ. You are in him. Who are you into? You can grow, and you can grow even from today because you're fueled and underpinned by grace. These 45 years that I have followed him is not because I'm super spiritual. It's because the grace of God has kept me, and he wants to keep you today. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. In fact, will you stand with me and let's give the Lord praise. Come on, let's give him a real round of applause of praise today. You know, I know that your life has mess in it. Mine does. I know that you've got weeds growing right by the side of your life. This parable teaches it. Those weeds may not go away easily, but you can grow and make a difference because you're underpinned by the grace of God. Let's grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to withstand the messy situation that you are in. First of all, you need to understand that God's placed some great things in you. And His work is, is perfect in your life. Be confident in what He's done for you. If you want to make a stand, understand that you are part of a bigger story. 
A bigger story than just your savings and just your ambitions. A bigger story that you were created. And even though we're fallen, we've got a redeemer and we've got a restoration coming that will be beyond anything we can all imagine. If you're going to stand, you need to call some things out. Some things that you've been compromising with. Some things you've been excusing. Some people in your life that you're saying, oh, that's just the way they are. You need to say, no, that's the enemy's influence and I'm withstanding that. I'm not giving in to that. And if you're going to stand, you're going to have to see that Jesus says the most severe truth about the end times. And it's time for you to get serious about your faith and say, I want to make it to the end. I'm going to live under the shadow of that glorious and great day. Can somebody give him praise for the great thing that God is going to do? Come on, lift your hands with me. We're going to worship him just for a few moments. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask those people whether if you've got a situation where you are surrounded by weeds, we're going to pray with you. You're going to bring that to God and he's going to give you strength to grow in amongst the weeds and you're going to be able to stand in it. But let's just worship him just for a few moments. Come on, raise your hands with me and let's sing this together. You're the 